Bible is a collection of stories about a greater story. About the Son of Man, fully human, who was tempted and tried in the desert and found to be true. Of a miracle man, the Son of God, fully divine, who walked on the waters and calmed the stormy seas. Who willingly climbed the hill to his death, gave his life on the cross, bled and died for our sins and the salvation of a broken world. And we who believe are his church, his vessel of light and love to a needy people, we wait, hoping expectantly for the return of our Lord, our King, our Jesus. Good morning again. Good morning again, church. Hey, uh, I just want to uh, thank our worship team for leading us in a, in a time of worship. Let's, let's welcome them and thank them for all that they do. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. You probably wouldn't, but so I'll share it with you. But they actually, they rehearse on Saturday nights to do a run through. So they, um, they give up their Saturday evenings to turn the water into the wine. So uh, I just appreciate them doing that and, and I'm so grateful for for them. And we're grateful to be here today. We're grateful for what God's doing at City Lights Church. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather at at Clinton High School. And um, we prayed during our volunteer service this morning. We're so grateful that God can take us to a a different location and still be the same God. That God can take us to a new uh, building, if you will, and we're still the same church, just a different location. So um, really grateful for, for all that he's doing. And we do believe that this will be a time of growth, not just numerically, but also spiritually. Um, I think anytime you read in the, in the book of Acts, the New Testament, one of the things that you're going to see is that new, numerical growth is always preceded by spiritual growth. And so um, what we want to see happen here is multiplication, not just addition. Addition would be this. I guilt you and manipulate you into bringing someone next Sunday, and you may do it. And that's addition. And then what happens, just like on Easter Sunday, everybody comes out, and the next Sunday, like, there's 200 people less, and you're like, where did everybody go? We never really had them to begin with. That's addition. So we want spiritual growth, discipleship to be taking place, and uh, we know that God will will bring that in time. Um, Until then, we'll just worship Him every single week. And, uh, and just glorify his name. And so um, that's what we do today. We, we, we glorify his name. I'm so excited. This morning we are starting a six-week series called the Jesus Series. Pretty, pretty clever, right? Pretty clever, the Jesus Series. And, and this is why, because we think everything is about Jesus at City Lights Church. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. If there ever is anything more, then it isn't an idol. It's an idol if there's ever anything less, then we just don't care enough. And so we're going to start this six-week series called the Jesus Series. Today we're in part one, and we're going to talk about um, His name is Jesus. But what I hope to do over these next six weeks, for everybody in here, for those who will be listening to the podcast, is to crush tradition. We want to crush tradition. We also want to challenge your uh, assumptions. We, one of the big things that's really terrible here in the South is we have this perception of Jesus based off of like what our granddaddy said or what our father said or what your Sunday school teacher taught you. And hopefully all those things were teaching you, um, you know, truthfully. But a lot of times we have this perception of who this man is and it's not always entirely accurate. So we're going to dive right into the scriptures in the next six weeks. And one of the amazing things about the Bible, we're going to take some time to primarily look from the New Testament, is that there are thousands of stories from Genesis to Revelation. Many stories. And oftentimes we read those stories, but we miss the one singular story that runs from the beginning to the end. 
So when you read the book of Leviticus and you're trying to pronounce all those crazy words and there's all these crazy laws about like don't touch donkeys and feed them hay unless it's, you know, had sprinkled with honey on it. You're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this man right here. Everything has to do with Jesus. Everything that happened um, before the New Testament, everything that happens today, it's, it's all about Jesus. And so just so you know that, that even though we're a church plant that meets in a high school, we are all about Jesus. It can never be anything more. It should never be anything less than Jesus at this church. Um, what I hope you learn specifically in this series, specifically today, is really, if there was a sermon bottom line for this entire series, it would be that Jesus is someone you can trust. Jesus is someone you can trust. There's a, a lot of times, I think, when it comes to making decisions in life, in terms of our faith, we wonder or we struggle with, it kind of boils down to, do I trust Jesus? Do I trust him to take this next job? Do I trust him to stay instead of move? Do I trust him to do something in my life instead of trying to do it on my own? Do I trust that God's provisions are big enough? Do I trust that his love for me is great enough? And I want you to see that Jesus is someone you can trust. Do you know what would happen if this church, if there were just five or ten of us, which there's a lot more than five or ten here today, would happen if we just truly begin to trust God unapologetically? A couple weeks ago, my daughter and I, Harper, we were kind of wrestling around, and, and uh, you know, she's in like, I don't know, she always wants to, I think I've actually hurt my neck, to be honest with you. She's, like, into, like, hanging on my neck and doing a monkey and stuff like that. And I'm not old, but, I mean, anytime you have, like, 35 pounds, just, like, drop from your neck, it hurts. But, you know, I am getting there a little bit. I still feel good. I'm in my prime, honestly, is what I feel like. I'm good. Um, but we were wrestling around, and we were, like, making this fort on, on, our, on our bed. And, it, and I want you to know this. It was the coolest fort I'd ever been in. It was, made, <laughs> it was made out of sheets and pillows, and I've never been in a cooler fort than that one. But after about an hour, you know, they got so much dang energy. I'm like, hey, I need a break. You know, I need, I need, just give me a minute here, please. Jesus, help me give a, get a break here, Harper. And so I get up off the bed, and literally, like, you know, here's our, I, I get up off the bed, and she says, Daddy, catch me. And like, you know, I mean, this, I'm going to tell the story like it was five minutes long, but it was probably like, you know, three and a half seconds, something like that. So I turn around, and I see like she's midair, you know, midair. So it's not, it's not like she said, Daddy, catch me, and then jumped. She jumped and then said, Daddy, catch me. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, it's only like three or four feet, but she's going to break her ankle. Then her mom will be mad and my wife will be mad. What would you do? I can't trust you, you know. And so she's like, and I just, you know, I reach my arms out and catch her, you know. And, and, I, and I sit her down. And I said, Harper, why did you do that? And she said, Daddy, I knew you'd catch me. She trusted her father. And this morning, I'm asking you. Do you trust the Father to catch you? See, what I know is this. Some of you, you're thinking about, you may not be jumping off a bed, but you may be thinking about jumping into a new career. Or jumping into a new relationship. You're thinking about going back to school and you're wanting, can you trust God to help you with that? On the flip side, there's others of you and you feel like you're falling. Relationships are struggling. You don't even want to look at the bank account on Monday because you know it looks pitiful. You're battling insecurity. And I want you to know this morning, if you're ready to jump or you feel like you're falling, you can trust the Father. You can trust the Father this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Mark chapter 4. If not, we're going to have it up on the screen. I want to just kind of set up where we're going here this morning. We're, we're talking about, can we trust God to help us, Jesus, in, in really everyday life? In everyday life, can we trust Him? 
And, and Mark is probably one of my favorite gospels. It's probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. But particularly Mark chapter 4, it begins with this very long discourse of Jesus. He's teaching, he's using parables, and he talks about why he's using them and how he would go off and explain these things to his disciples. And then this particular, we're going to read about a miracle today that I, I've actually been very uh, excited about. I've known for weeks I was going to teach on it. I've actually been able to teach on this particular passage a couple times. I'm going to take a new spin on it today. I've not done this since we've been at church, but I have in my young preaching ministry been able to, to teach on this because there's just so many different ways you can take it. But it's particularly, it's a miracle uh, that deals with nature. Now, most of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament are what we would call like modern day exorcisms, right? He is removing the demons from people. This one has to deal with nature. The only other nature miracle recorded in the Gospels is where Jesus walks on the water. Today is actually another water miracle that we're going to see. So two nature miracles like that. One, Jesus walks on the water. The other one is what we're going to read today. Jesus has been having this long discussion. He's been teaching a really, really long time. He was a long-winded pastor, and he's getting ready to take a break. We're in Mark chapter 4. His name is Jesus. Do you trust him? Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, so on that day when Jesus had been teaching, When the evening had come, he told them, his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now listen, if you take notes on the back of your connection card or anywhere that you're taking notes, you need to just write like V35 or verse 35, something like that to remind you of this particular one. I don't see a lot of people doing this, so I'm assuming that y'all have great memories and you're going to remember this. Make a note of Mark 35 or or verse 35. We're going to come back to this. And this verse right here, you're looking at it right now, but you probably don't understand exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm going to come back to it and uh, see if we can make the Holy Spirit move up in here. Verse 36. So they're teaching. Jesus teaching on that day. So they left the crowd. I love this. And they took him along since he was already in the boat. What this is suggestive of is this, is that Jesus is in the boat. The disciples are there. And he says, hey, let's go to the other side. So they don't get off their boat to go back and get things. You could say it like this. When you have Jesus, he's really all you need. You don't need any other provisions. Your identity is not in how much money is in your bank account. Your identity is not in anything other than Jesus. When Jesus is in the boat, he's all you need. Amen? They didn't go back to get things. Jesus was there. And other boats were with him. Verse 37. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Now, as I got to thinking about this, there was something that just kind of stood out to me. And this language here, speaking of like, a fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. So what it's telling me is that maybe these disciples, as they're telling this story, this storm came out of nowhere, and the boat was being swamped before they even saw it coming. You ever been in life and a storm just came out of nowhere and you didn't see it coming? That's what's happening here. It says that the boat was already being swamped. What I know to be true is this, is that there are many people listening to this message and you feel like your boat is swamped. And can we just be honest? There's, there's different seasons of life where things are good, things are bad, things are decent, right? And you're either in one of those areas where like the storm, you just got out of a storm. And this isn't a pessimist look. It's a, it's a, it's a realist look on, on life that you've either just come out of a storm or you're going into one, or you're driving by one and praying that it hits your neighbor's house or something like that. You know what I mean? These people that, they were just in this, this storm and it was, 
right on top of them. But what's interesting also about this is, you remember who Jesus is with on this boat, his disciples. And they were fishermen. In a minute, you're going to see that they're going to cry for help. So something's interesting about this storm. See, these men, they were used to fishing out on the boat. They were used to out being in storms. But something was different about this particular storm. The waves were a little bit more violent. The current was a little bit stronger. The boat was a little bit shaky. Do you know those people in life when, it's, it's really sad as I was just preparing about this, or preparing for this, you know, when they start going through a hard time in life, they say something like, well, I'm used to it, I'll get through it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people just, they're like, I can do this, I'm used to it, these problems. Unfortunately, that's not always true. You can't always get through it. You can't always get through it. Just like these disciples, many of us will face storms that seem like they come up out of nowhere. A couple, many years ago, actually, me and my friend named Brandon Gross, we were out on this little, uh, I think they call it, it was almost like a, a sea-doo, but not a jet ski. You know what I mean? Like the, the two-seater boats. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Kind of like the sport boat, kind of, but no? Okay. Well, we were out on Norris Lake. So I, I'll still tell the story. Um, we were out on Norris Lake up by the dam, and we were out like, you know, we were probably 17, 18 years old, just having fun, you know, probably, Lord, only, God only knows what we were doing. It's, I'm, it's a wonder that I'm here to tell the story today, just to be honest with you, but we were out there on the lake, Norris Lake, one day, and we were just riding around and just cruising, and I'm telling you, anybody who's ever been out on the lake, you know this. I mean, you can, a lot of times you see the storms coming, but it's not, it's not uncommon for them just to pop up out of nowhere, right, on the lake. I mean, you may see the dark clouds coming, but it's like you look up one minute and then there they are. That happened to me and Brandon, and honestly, I can remember we were in this, it didn't have a cover, uh, a cover, and we were just getting pelted by that rain. I can actually remember, there was like this little cubby, and looking back, I was like such a sissy man, but I, I can remember like trying to dunk under it while Brandon was driving, I'm like, are we almost back to the boat dock yet? It's, you know, terrible. And that's what it was like on the Sea of Galilee. These storms would come out of nowhere. It was, they're notorious there on the Sea of Galilee, still to this day for having these incredibly uh, powerful storms. And just an interesting fact about the Sea of Galilee, it's actually the, the, the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It was notorious back in the first century and even still today for storms popping up. And, and in fact, I want to show you a couple pictures of what potentially Galilee would have looked like. Now, this is a terrible picture, but it's the only one I could really find that would kind of explain what I want. I know you guys are over there, so you can look at that TV. But you, you've got the sea right here, and imagine, imagine like when you're at Florida or Alabama or South Carolina, you've got like this plains area right there. I mean, it's not really plains. We think of plains. We think of like, uh, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, stuff like that. But this is what they would call, in this geographical region, they would call this the coastal plains, right there off that sea, the coastal plains. And then you can see there's a, a little bit of mountains that come up, a little bit of hills. And then this right here is the Sea of Galilee, and it would have rivers, you know, that come down and... Uh, disperse into it, and this is called what they call the Jordan Rift or the Jordan Valley. And then to the east of it is what they call the Eastern Plateau or the Eastern Mountains. A, a way to make this practical is imagine this is Anderson County. You've got the Cumberland Mountains and the Smoky Mountains. Does it make sense? Just sitting down in the valley, and so these windstorms would just get in there and just like a bowl. Just, it would just cause it to get crazy in there, cause it to get crazy. Uh, violent storms would come in. There have been many um, pictures that have been painted about this story. This is the text to the painting of that, 
Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This is actually what the Sea of Galilee may have looked like back then. Just a very, I mean, a, a beautiful place. Jesus did a lot of his ministry here on this area, and this is potentially what it just would have looked like. Um, you kind of see, you know, if this was to the east side, you see those eastern mountains come up. Just a very, very, very beautiful place still to this day. Take us to the next picture. This is from like 1695. This uh, artist called, uh, don't quote me on this, but like Ludolf Backhusen or something like that. Is a, this is a painting of the actual storm that's happening in Mark chapter 4 there. Because remember, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, and it said that other boats were with him, and that these, there was just these violent, crashing waves all around them. And this is one of the most infamous, or not infamous, one of the most kind of famous known paintings for this Sea of Galilee. So um, there's this, you've got this valley of the, the, in the sea there, which is actually a lake. You've got the mountains and the plateau, and just this big storm would happen here. And this is potentially what kind of boat Jesus would have been on uh, back in the first century. Um, they just took up really good offerings back then. I mean, I don't know. Jesus just had this way of like, hey, give big today. And so they just rode around in style, man. It was, they were gangsters. No, really, this is 1986, and this was a boat that was found along the Sea of Galilee, and it would have been something, something like this, potentially a little bit bigger, but you see how it's wooden. And so you imagine this wooden boat out there in that storm. Really wouldn't stand a chance against it, right? You need to know this today. That without Christ in your life, we become shattered like this boat too when the storms of life come up. So let me paint this picture for you. These disciples are out on this lake. This bad storm comes out of nowhere. Their boats start getting rocked and shaken. These men are experts, fishermen. No doubt they've experienced many storms before, but something was different about this particular one. They feel that their lives are at danger, that they're going to die. But we must remember that Jesus was already in the boat with them. Jesus was already in the boat, and he was already to face whatever storms was coming. He was with them that day. So look what happens as we continue. This is verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Now, this is important that you understand this theologically, what's going on here. I want to just teach for a minute that it's important that we realize that there's this crazy storm happening These disciples feel like they're fixing to die, and the Savior of the world is sleeping on the cushion. Maybe what seems a big deal to you is not a big deal to our big God at all. Maybe what you feel like is fixing to drown you, God's just hanging out, saying this really isn't as big as you think it is. Now, we don't always have the eyesight that He does. But maybe it'll do you some good to think of if you feel like there's something going on around you this morning and your world's crashing down, that God's just like, hey, it's really not that big of a problem. It's important under, theologically that we see this, that Jesus, remember, he was fully God and he was fully human. Hebrews 4.15. The writer says, For we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. So it's important that we understand this, that from a theological standpoint, doctrinally speaking, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. We know of his humanity because he wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. We know of his humanity because in the midst of the storm, he was sleeping. But we know of his divinity because when he went to death, he defeated it and rose again. So the point is this, that you can trust Jesus to know what you're going through. When you feel like there's this huge chasm between you and God, that He knows what you're going through, Priscilla. He knows the emotions that you're facing. He knows how you're overwhelmed at work. He was fully human. The beautiful thing is that He did everything He faced without sin. So you can trust Him in your life to know that He can empathize with what you're going through, but you can also trust Him with your eternity because He defeated everything without sin. So take us back. So he was, he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up. And look, I love it here. You can almost, I mean, look at the punctuation. They said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? I mean, you can sense the fear. Maybe some of you, you, you certainly, you, you've had this thought or you know someone or you've seen it, like you've read a book where someone's like, God, you know, where are you? Where are you, God? Don't you care that I'm going to die? And I ask you to be honest, have you ever felt like God was distant and didn't care where you were? Can anybody just be honest? I mean, I felt like that. Now, I'm not going to suggest that he was sleeping in your moment of despair, but what I know here is he was sleeping because really what they were facing was not that big of a deal. No doubt that this moment they're waiting to see if Jesus is going to help them. And listen, we just read something again, and I'm not sure that you guys caught it. But I want to point out something that's really remarkable about this particular story. There's so many good things, honestly. There's so many different angles to take it. But I want to point out something that's absolutely remarkable in this verse. The storm is raging. The waves have swamped up over the boat. They're basically, they're heading for doom, if you will. The one who they're counting on is sleeping. But, listen, it wasn't the rocking boat that woke Jesus up. It wasn't the crashing waves that woke Jesus up. It wasn't the violent winds all around them. It wasn't the current moving the boat. Do you remember what the Scripture said just then? Pull us back up to that. That verse we were just on. But he was in the stern, sleeping in the cushion. That's all right, don't worry about that. And, and, and read this with me. So they woke him up. So they woke him up. Pull it up for me. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up. It wasn't the crashing waves. It wasn't the shaking boat. It was, it was his children. I, I've shared th- this story with you, and it happens now, but certainly when we were first uh, raising our little girl, Harper, I can remember when we brought her home, um, and you remember how crazy that is, parents, when you bring your baby home, you're like, good Lord, they're really sending me home from the hospital with no like case manager or anything. They're just letting me go with this thing. 
And we get home, and, and I can remember almost immediately just her nature. And I would, I would say this, not to boast of my own self, but I did catch up with her in this ability. But I can remember like when our little baby Harper, and she does it now with Harper and Jude, but specifically I just remember the first time seeing it, that when we would get home and Harper would be sleeping and we may have her like in her bedroom and we'd be in the living room, like all of a sudden Ariel's ear would just kind of perk up like a dog. You know what I mean? Like that mom like, you know, she and I'm just sitting here watching the, you know, I'm like, go balls or you know, whatever. I'm just watching the game and, and I'd hear her get up and she would come in there carrying the baby and I'd be like, Hey, she said Harper was up in there. And it was amazing that 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 just that instinct in, in the mother that she could hear the voice of her child. Are y'all with me? Do you understand? Like, do you, do you see what's happening here? The significance of this? It wasn't it wasn't this incredible storm that woke him up, it was his children when they called out to him. He's sleeping on the stern and these waves are crashing around and that doesn't wake him up. But it's the voice of his child who calls out in trouble that woke him. Look at Psalm 18.6. I called to the Lord in my distress and I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Jesus is like the sleeping mother who can sleep, who can sleep through dynamite exploding. But at the sinest little weep, the slightest little weep of his children crying out. The mother gets up to go see what's going on. Is that good news or bad news? That's good news, right? I, I, so they woke him up. So they woke him up. Look what happens in verse 39. It says, He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased. And there was a great Calm. Here, what we see is that our Creator is greater than the creation He created. If God can calm the seas, if He can calm the storm, I'm sure that whatever you're facing today, God is in control of. Verse 40. I love this. Then He said to them, He's like, Yo, why are you scared, man? Why are you scared? He says, Do you still have no faith? The question isn't really directed towards them being fearful of the storm, as you'll see in just a moment, but they didn't understand who he was. It was almost like they were shocked to see this happen. Now, when we first started, I told you all to make a note of verse 35, and this is important to understand this. He said, on that day, when evening had come, the very first verse we read, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So I want to ask you something. Are you surprised that they made it? Are you surprised that in the midst of this storm, Jesus was able to calm it? God makes these promises all throughout the Bible. He's really spoken them over your life, that He's never going to leave you or forsake you, that His provisions are there in the place of obedience. That day Jesus didn't say, hey... Let's think about crossing over to the other side. Maybe we'll try, depending upon if a storm comes our way. He said, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. What I know is this, is that some of you here this morning, there's things that you're going through, there's things that you're thinking about, and Jesus has already made the promise. Let's go. Let's go. He didn't say, I hope we can cross. He didn't say, hey, let's try to cross. He said, let's cross over. Verse 41. 
Look what it says. It says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So in the storm, they thought they were going to die. After the storm, they were terrified. And they don't even know who they're standing with. This morning, we've gathered here, and do you even know why? It is because of this man. It is because of this God. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we ever will be because of Him. And so they ask this simple question, who then is this? Who is this man that can, that can take power over creation? And I have one simple answer for you. His name is Jesus. Who is this man that can calm the storms? Who is this man that brings dead things to life? His name is Jesus. Who is this man that takes the drug addict and makes him whole? His name is Jesus. Who is this man that takes the broken marriage and puts it back together? His name is Jesus. Who is this man that takes lost things destined for an eternity without him? And through reconciliation on the cross brings them to have the ability to have eternity with him forever? Elizabeth, his name is Jesus. There's even something about that name, Jesus, when you just say it. The book of Acts says there's no other name under heaven by which we are saved. There's just power in the name of Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's made a promise to us this morning, Robert. He's telling us as a church and individually, let's cross over to the other side. Let's cross over. Let's go farther. No turning back. And listen, we can't afford this church right here. Excuse me, I'm spitting already. This is going to be dangerous about Clinton down here. Closer. We're going to have to get some plexiglass like they do at hockey games. When I get fired up, I'll just elbow like that and run into it. But God's made a promise to us. He said, let's cross over to the other side. And so I believe this at this church. I'm going to say something right now, and then we're going to Basically, we need your seat if you're not going to join us. Because there's a lot of other seats that could be filled in here. And we need somebody sitting here that says, All right, God, I know you said let's cross over so I can face the storm. This morning we trust Him as a church. I'm asking you. God has proven Himself worthy of it all. He is a good God. He's a perfect God who makes promises and doesn't go back on His Word. Just by a quick show of hands, if you would say that today could be a day, today should be a day, today will be a day, where you will begin praying about taking next steps with Jesus and trusting Him more and claiming the promises of God over your life, will you just raise your hand? We just celebrate what God is doing personally. Amen. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory.
Oh